This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast is brought to you by Swenson Real Estate, service before self. With over 30 years experience, they've seen it all. Contact Jeff and Lorena today at 406-253-0033. That's 406-253-0033. Swenson Real Estate, service before self. Welcome to the Flathead Beacon Podcast for Wednesday, August 4th. I'm Micah Drew. Even amid record-breaking temperatures and smoke-blurred horizons, summer nights on Flathead Lake are difficult to improve on, and the evening of July 31st was no exception, until it was. A small fire that ignited the afternoon of the 31st, northeast of Polson, became erratic on Saturday night as high wind speed stoked the flames and pushed the fire towards Highway 35 and the lake's eastern shore. The Boulder 2700 fire tore across the highway near mile marker 10 and blazed south, burning up the lakeside homes in its path. In the middle of the night, residents along the lake and up on Finley Point were evacuated from their homes and stood by for the rest of the weekend, many unsure whether they had homes to return to. One resident from Finley Point, journalist Amanda Grinnell, was woken up just after midnight when the power in her house went out. She and her family left their home a little before 3 a.m. as mandatory evacuations were just beginning. Amanda has since been able to return to her home, and I talked to her there Tuesday evening about what it was like being at Ground Zero for such an event. But before we get to that interview, a reminder that this podcast is made possible in part by the members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some great perks, too. To find out more or join today, check out beaconeditorsclub.com. And if you haven't already, don't forget to grab the latest edition of the Flathead Beacon on newsstands throughout northwest Montana, where the cover story deals with what happened with the Boulder Fire over the weekend. Now, on to this week's guest, an editor at Undark Magazine and co-host of the Backcountry Science Podcast, Amanda Grinnell. So, my name is Amanda Grinnell, and I'm an editor at an online science magazine, and I live out on Finley Point. Well, I'm sure most of the time, Finley Point is extremely nice when it's not full of smoke. But tell me a little bit about uh, what it's been like this summer. We've kind of had an unprecedented dry spell and a really early start to the fire and smoke season. What's that been like down in Finley Point? Yeah, so I have this south-facing view. And so every day I kind of look out there and notice how far I can see down the Mission Mountains. And that's kind of my gauge for how bad the air quality is that day. And um yeah, it's, you know, the smoke kind of rolled in. I don't even know how long ago that was now, you know, over a month ago, I think. And it's kind of stayed at the same level of not being able to see as as far as I'm used to and kind of, yeah, being a little oppressive. And it's not like the worst air quality. You know, I think we've had mostly moderate days as far as the actual AQI index goes. But yeah, it doesn't feel great. And and now after this fire, um, you know, it's the worst that it's been so far. And I, this is the first year that I bought both an air purifier and an air conditioner inside. 
so that I could have my own little like one room enclave of air that is both cool and clean. I've been putting it off for a while and then just today I finally woke up and bought my air purifier. Just yeah. it, was, it was finally time to make the jump. Yeah, it'll be a long-term investment. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, like I kind of said, you've obviously been under a bit of stress this weekend, being close to the Boulder 2700 fire, uh, which blew up. So on, on Saturday afternoon, the fire was ignited just northeast of Polson. Can you kind of take us through where you were um, Saturday and kind of what started that first couple hours of knowing that there was a new fire and having the first set of evacuation orders in place? Yeah, so I'm in a little bit of a unique situation. I rent a house that's on a vineyard out on Finley Point, and our landlords are here almost daily uh, working on the vineyard, so I'm very close with them. And they live near mile marker 8 up Highway 35, so the first I heard of it was really from them. Um, They kind of got a pre-evacuation notice from the sheriff knocking on the door, and they started bringing stuff over to the vineyard where they store their farm equipment and started storing, um, you know, their gear and their trailer and, um, you know, the stuff they didn't want to lose. One of them showed me a picture of his daughter winning a high school soccer tournament. So stuff like that, you know, they just really didn't want to lose. And they they, uh, told me that they had a fire plan. So that was good to hear. You know, they had something printed out that was on their fridge that they hadn't touched in four years um, that just had a list of things that they should take. So they they were feeling pretty good and well prepared and took a couple loads. Um, So, you know. It was pretty cool, calm, and collected that first day. Um, you know, we started noticing a lot of uh, traffic in the air, a couple different types of planes, some helicopters. And otherwise, it was kind of a normal day. I actually had family in town. We spent the day kind of touring around, not going north of us, but um, went into town and went to a beach and kind of thought, okay, there's there's a fire over there. But it, it seemed like all the, the official messaging was, you know, they were handling it. So then you went to bed, things being pretty normal. And then I was scrolling through your Twitter feed and saw you were uh, awoken just after midnight by the power going out. Uh, That's right. Start from there and kind of go through the early hours of the morning. Yeah, so... Um, Like I said, I bought this AC unit. So when the power went out, the noise from that turned off and all of our fans turned off. So it got real quiet and and we woke up. And um, the first news we heard actually was um, my husband has a friend who knew some people working on the fire and he texted saying that it sounded like Finley Point was going to be evacuated. Um, And we kind of looked on, on social media, on Facebook and saw some chatter about that, but nothing substantiated. So we decided to have one of us go down to the the fire station that we're pretty close to, um, just a couple miles away. So my husband drove down to the fire station to just get some real information about what was going on. Um, and I, you know, we were noticing a lot more traffic on the road. Um, people were kind of up and about. It seemed like something was happening. He got word that they were not yet evacuating, but they probably were going to evacuate. And and so we decided to pack up and leave at that point before actually getting a knock on the door. We actually did have family staying overnight, so we wanted them to, to be able to get out and, um, and have enough time to pack up their stuff. So we packed up everything. Um, we have a dog, and so we we had to think about all of his stuff a little bit more than our own stuff, I think. Um, and did things like 
the bare minimum, like important documents and passports and like a change of clothes and uh, any medications that we had. And, and then we were, we were kind of out of there. And so it was um, not that many people were, were leaving yet. I think I heard later that, that there kind of was a lot of traffic when they first started um, evacuating. And yeah, as we passed by um, the fire crews, uh, we paused and asked them and they had just started going door to door to evacuate in the point. So I take it you didn't have your own fire plan stuck to the fridge for the last four years? Did not, did not. You know, we had think, been thinking about it a little bit on Saturday, uh, you know, as our landlords were bringing loads of stuff mm-hmm. over, it was kind of like, you know, you can't not think about, oh, maybe I would uh, be better idea to have some stuff together in the same place, have kind of like a to-go bag with some emergency pl- supplies. Um, but no, didn't didn't have our own plan put together for reals yet. So what was your guys' strategy when you guys left Finley Point? Where did you go? You said you had family in town. Where were you guys set up for the night? Yeah, so we ended up staying with a friend of that family who lives in town. They were really kind to welcome us in. And um, I knew at that point there was also the shelter set up at the Linderman Elementary School. And so if we hadn't have had those friends in the middle of the night, we probably would have gone to the the shelter um, or... Tried to meet up with someone else, like our landlords, to just like have some camaraderie. Um, so yeah, we we ended up at a house in Polson and and had a, a pretty decent view of the fire actually, which was quite astonishing. Yeah, the Lake County Sheriff uh, Don Bell said he's never seen fire behavior quite as volatile as this. From earlier in the day when there was an evacuation warning for part of the area, and then it was lifted, and then. The wind shifted and the fire just ripped down and jumped the highway and kind of just blew up and, and started threatening structures and people. From your vantage point, what was it like seeing the flames, seeing the activity on the fire during the early hours of the morning and, and into the next day? Yeah, seeing it in the in the dark, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. dark um, up on the hillside, being able to see some um, kind of larger sets of flames emerge and then die down. Um, thinking about where our landlords live and and the other other people that have homes in the area. Yeah, it was like, it was very worrying. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really worried about Finley Point at that time. It didn't, it seemed like it would take a lot for it to, to shift quite that far. But yeah, it was still really gut-wrenching. And um and seeing some of the the footage at that point that had been posted too of like what some people had been having to drive through, you know, it, it was, it was really difficult to look at. Did you go down on, on Sunday to either the evacuation center or down among where people were gathering to see what things were, what the status of things was? Yeah. Yeah. I went to the evacuation center um, to kind of just check in, see if there was any new information available there, which there didn't seem to be. And then later in the day, we actually heard um, that some people were being allowed back on Finley Point for a short period. Um, so then we had to kind of make the decision if there were more things that we we should have grabbed in the middle of the night um, and if we should go back or not. Can you just describe a little bit of what it was like um, at the evacuation shelter, what people were like, what people were talking about, just kind of what that general sense was? Yeah, you know, it was um, not really busy at the time that I went. Um, there were a few cots set up in the in kind of behind the main tables um, back in the gym. 
Um, and so I knew people had actually spent the night there and I was thinking about how that would have been really hard. And, um, and yeah, so they, they had a kind of a little check-in station for people to, to be able to, to sign up either to stay the night or just like to, to get your contact information down to say that, that you're displaced, but staying elsewhere. Um, and they had some snacks available and some other supplies, um, and I think a couple of people while I was there came in who wanted to donate supplies or their time or a space for people to stay. So um, it did feel like, you know, you could go there and ask for whatever you needed at that time. You were fortunate that the fire did not get back to Finley Point and you are now back in your home. When were you guys first allowed back fully onto the area? Yeah. So, you know, I said there was a short period on Sunday and then, and then they, um, you know, they actually called us at that point because we had had to give our phone numbers to be able to get back on the point and told us that we needed to leave around two o'clock because of the fire conditions. And so then um, it wasn't until today. So Tuesday in the afternoon, we, we went back through and, and we're, here now under um, like ready to go at a moment's <laughs> notice condition. <laughs> what is it? Can you see the the smoke column out, outside of your house or can you see what the fire is looking like now? Honestly, driving in too, it's been so smoky. Um, it really doesn't seem like anything's visible. Well, I know that you are a, a science writer and a science journalist. Can you just give me some kind of sense of your thoughts of this summer and seeing yet again what's a mass of fires across the West and this ongoing air quality that seems to be creeping up earlier and earlier yeah. each year? Yeah, yeah. It's been hard hard to watch um, year after year and, and seeing things get worse and worse. And, and you know, there's some conversation even in the um, community fire meeting and the messaging from some of the fire officials around how the fire season has started earlier and gone later. And fires have been changing in their many decades of work and and things are getting hotter and drier every summer, which makes the fires worse. The, they, you know, they fully recognize the fires are going to happen you know, in the West. Um, it's not a matter of if, it's when. And fires have always been part of the landscape here. But, but the fact that things are getting warmer and drier every year because of climate change is just making large fires the new normal. And yeah, and so that's, that's going to decrease the air quality. Um, and, you know, it's going to be, you know, personally like sad to, to feel like I can't go outside and recreate um, and enjoy the, the beauty of Montana as much as I want to. And then last thing, is there any other sense you got from, from listening to fire officials or hearing the fire meetings of what it's going to look like kind of for the next couple of days or what people might be worried about in this area going forward? Yeah. So, you know, I think that they are being very cautious with the messaging. They really don't know a lot. Um, and part of that is because the conditions could change at a moment's notice like they did before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we had some cooler weather that, that helped initially, um, but it's going to get hot again. And so they, you know, telling us who've allowed, been allowed back to be ready to leave because conditions might change in a way that makes it unsafe to be on on a peninsula that has only one access point and uh, yeah and they um you know they're trying really really hard i know they're they're working very very hard 
um, to to create a really hard fire line to the north and to the south so that it doesn't damage more properties. Um, but the people who are still evacuated, um, you know, they, they do not yet know when they will be allowed back in, when it will be safe to go back in. Um, the incident commander last night said it probably would not be weeks, but as far as a matter of days, he doesn't really know how many days it might be. And they're still assessing the whole situation as well. Yeah, and that's really hard to hear. I'm glad to hear that you and your family are safe and back in your home right now. Hopefully you won't have to leave again. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's not any more eventful than it already has been. Thank you so much for reporting on this, Micah. As of Tuesday night, the Boulder Fire has burned 1,400 acres, destroyed at least 20 structures, and continues to shut down Highway 35, with evacuation orders still in place between mile markers 6 and 13. The latest information can be found on the CKST Division of Fire Facebook page. Flathead Beacon Assistant Managing Editor Tristan Scott was on the ground in Polson on Sunday and wrote this week's cover story on what he saw. Read about it in print or online at flatheadbeacon.com. We'll be right back. And before we get to this week's headlines, Dr. Mark Remington of Glacier Eye Clinic has a message from our sponsor this week. I've known Jeff for probably around 20 years. Very good friend of mine. He's helped me both personally and professionally in the real estate market. He is super ethical, super knowledgeable. He's prompt. He'll return your calls and he'll steer you in the right direction. As a friend, he's been service before self. Contact Swenson Real Estate at 406-253-0033 today. Now, here are the biggest news stories from the last seven days as of 8 p.m. Tuesday, August 3rd. Across northwest Montana, more than a half dozen fires are actively burning and contributing to the poor air quality, which across the Flathead Valley registered firmly in the unhealthy range on Tuesday. Up near Polebridge, the Hay Creek Fire has now burned 2,300 acres, and the Thorn Creek Fire northeast of Thompson Falls has grown to nearly 18,000 acres, with 0% containment. Near Troy, the Burnt Creek Fire is 40% contained and has burned 3,300 acres, while the South Yak Fire is 10% contained and has burned more than 9,000 acres. The newest fire in the region started on Sunday afternoon 8 miles south of Swan Lake in the Whitetail Drainage. It has currently burned 320 acres. The latest updates on all fires can be found online at ncweb.nwcg.gov, as well as on the respective Forest Service's Facebook and Twitter pages. A reminder that strict fire restrictions are in place across the region, and officials urge everyone to prevent any possible ignitions. COVID cases are rapidly rising in Flathead County as nearly 200 new cases have been reported in the last four days, with more than 400 active cases as of Tuesday evening. The next closest county, Yellowstone County, has just over 200 total cases. Logan Health has had more than 20 COVID patients each day for the last week, and the Flathead County Health Department attributed six deaths during July to the virus which, due to a lag time, does not count any deaths stemming from the most recent surge in cases. Health officials and practitioners urge residents to get vaccinated as the county continues to lag behind the rest of the state. 
Whitefish native Nicole Heverland and the USA Rugby Sevens team competed in the Tokyo Olympics last week. The USA Eagles finished on top of their group during pool play, which included wins over host nation Japan and defending Olympic gold medalist Australia. But unfortunately, Team USA was knocked out of the quarterfinals by Great Britain. The team finished in sixth place, just one spot lower than they did in Rio during the 2016 Olympics. Seven months after Glacier Girls soccer coach Brendan Bird announced he was stepping down, the school finally announced it had hired Damian Blackburn, a former Major League Soccer player who was the technical director for the Flathead Rapids club team. Blackburn has been coming to Montana for a decade to work with the Rapids summer camps and has a long history with the local coaches. He brings decades of playing and coaching experience to the Wolfpack, who won the program's first state title last fall. The Wolfpack will open their season the last weekend in August against Helena and Helena Capital. And finally, a controversial and illegal bridge connecting the north shore of Flathead Lake to Dock Stater Island is still the subject of a nearly decade-long court battle. The private landowner who built the bridge has filed suit against Flathead County, claiming that since the county granted her the permit to build the bridge erroneously, they should compensate her for the removal. A jury trial has been requested to settle the matter, and plans for the bridge's demolition are in the works. That's all for this week. As always, you can stay up to date on the latest news online at flatheadbeacon.com. And thanks again to Amanda Grinnell for talking about her experience over the weekend. She can be found and followed on Twitter at Amanda Grinnell. This edition of the Flathead Beacon podcast was hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by me, Micah Drew. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.